Unto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens unto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. 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 Lower, 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 Satan, lower, lower. 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 Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. 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 Okay. Think we can do King of the Jungle? No. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what. Can I have that? Because I haven't seen you do motions in a long time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, all right. We're not in a tuggling match up here. I just haven't seen you jump around for a while. Thought it. <laughs> all right. So if we have all the girls sing Whaley, 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 and all the boys out here too sing hoo, hoo. Who's the king of the jungle? Who is it? Jesus. God. Well, God is ultimately the king of the jungle. The lion? Are you sure? So, okay, what goes... <laughs> the gorilla! Ah, that's what it's talking about, the king of the jungle, though. All right. <laughs> that really acted the part, didn't I? That looked like a monkey? We could add that part of the happy birthday verse in, too. Oh, all right. Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? And who's the king of me? I tell you, J-E-S-U-S. Yes, he's the king of me. He's the king of the universe, the jungle and the sea. Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? And who's the king of me? I tell you, J-E-S-U-S. Yes, he's the king of me. He's the king of the universe, the jungle and the sea. That's not a bark. That's like a, that's like a high-pitched doggy. Woo, woo. <laughs> okay. Uh, how does that song go? He's got the whole world 
You guys know that one? He's got the whole world. You know that? Yeah, that's right. You, you, you. Okay. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's got you and me, sister, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the itty bitty baby. In his hands, he's got the itty bitty baby. In his hands, he's got the itty bitty baby. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. You guys believe that? Okay, sit down and I'll, sit down here, and we'll have a little story. All right. Okay. So you guys love this. You guys like this globe, right? Yeah. All right. Anybody? Can anybody tell me where Myanmar is? Myanmar. Well, that's the United States, so it's definitely not there. Okay. I'll tell you, it's close to Thailand. Where's Thailand? Okay. So, can you any of you read? Okay. You're close. Right here. So here is. This is, oh, hold up, this is Thailand, that little green one's Thailand, this one is Myanmar, Burma, this light green. Okay, so, what does it mean to be a missionary? Okay, let's set this back now, you guys know, okay, so we're over here, this, so we put it in perspective, we're here, and yes, Lexi, uh, Canada's here, um, and then way over here, on the other side, is my almost exactly across. Wait, do you mean like in Asia? Yeah, it's in Asia. Yeah. Yep. Or the people that have This would be China. China. This would be China. And this is Myanmar. Remember in India? Asia. You remember where India was? We talked about India before. This was India. So but yeah, it's almost perfectly across from each other, right? Where we're you at in Colorado versus there. We just need to go to India then that's where we're headed. Africa, yep. and then we're going all the way to North America. Okay. Okay. So like this globe is going to be. So well, let's stop touching it now, so that way we don't like spin it off its axis. Okay. So remember what I said? Let's not touch it. Okay. What is a what is a mission? What does a missionary mean? Do you know what it means to be a missionary? It means you baptize. You baptize? Yeah, a missionary would do that. There's other things first. Um, what else would it mean? I don't know. Don't know? Share the gospel. Share the gospel, okay. Who's usually missionaries? Huh? Jesus Christ. Okay. Usually it's, yeah, it's Christians that are usually missionaries. Do we have to go to a foreign country to be a missionary? 
You don't? Okay, oh, yeah, this thing is always such a distraction. Okay, let's put this back here. So, do we have to... Um, I love this. The camera can't see me back there. Um, so, do we have to... Do we have to... Do you have to go to a foreign country to be a missionary? No. Are you sure? Okay. You're sure? So you can be a missionary here? Yes. Okay. That's right. That's so true. Okay, so I'm going to actually read to you. We looked at Myanmar, right? So I'm going to read to you about some people that live in Myanmar that actually are missionaries there. Okay, here. Can we have that? You want to sit down too? There. Here, can I have that please? Thank you. Hide all the toys behind me here. Okay. So uh, a young a, a man and his wife they completed seminary. So they went to uh, school to be um, to be not missionaries but more like spiritual leaders. We'll put it that way. And so they were asked, could you take could you and your wife take care of two boys? The boys, the boys' ages were five and seven. Do we have anybody here that's five? Yes. You're five? Okay. Who's seven? Oh, okay. So your guys' ages. So they had two boys. They asked them if they could take care of these two boys. They were children of new believers from separate families who were working in the fields. In other words, their families were farmers. Their parents feared that since they were now Christians, a rebel group would come and take the boys to use as child soldiers. Can you imagine somebody coming and taking you to make you into a soldier already? You're only five. Um, yeah, well, that's what they do with these children. Okay, so these families are, uh, rebel groups are taken, to, uh, well, I'm sorry. The rebel groups would take the boys to use for child soldiers. Families in areas where the rebel groups are active are commonly expected to give up a child, and Christian families are often forced to give up all their children as a penalty. Can we listen? Thank you. Penalty for being Christians. At the beginning of the century, Myanmar was reportedly to have the highest... How many times? Hey, I'm not going to... I don't want to tell you again, okay? Here, Listen. Turn like this, sit here, and then you can hear the story, okay? Um, okay, at the beginning of the century, Myanmar, so we looked at the country of Myanmar, right? We know which country it is. They were reported to have the highest number of child soldiers in the world. So this is like young little boys, like seven, eight, nine years old. At that time, an estimated 20% of the country's 350,000 soldiers were children. Hey, you see that guy over by the post? He wants a word with you. Um, 20% of the country's 350,000 soldiers were children. Do you know how to, can you do math? What's 10% of 350,000? So that would be 35,000. So that means 20% would be 70,000 soldiers. 70,000. Can you wrap your head? What's the population of Greeley? Does anybody know? 110,000. So not quite the population of Greeley. But 70,000 is a lot of people. 
Like that's about how many people go to a Broncos game. What? Yeah. So, 70, they're all children, and they're in the army already. And then the girls are traded off maybe to China or something like that. So Ken, this guy's name was Ken, and Ken prayed about how he and his wife could help the families. But three days later, before he could send a reply, his friend showed up at his house with the two boys. It was a shock and a surprise for me, Ken said, smiling. When Ken learned that one of the boys didn't have a father, he realized maybe his friend's question was an answer to his prayer. I grew up without having a father, so I know how difficult it is to not have a father or parents, he said. Whenever I meet a child without a parent, if there's a way I can help these children be as their father, I am willing to do that. Ken and his wife, Maya, already have five children of their own, ranging in age from 1 to 13. They didn't know how they would be able to feed two more, but they knew God would provide. So they committed themselves to loving the children as their own providing them with an education and helping disciple them in their faith as long as they lived with them. Um, can you let them alone? Thanks. Um, I want to read you this one, this one young man, what he said in here. We don't feel we deserve to get this far, but first of all, we give thanks to the Lord for helping us take care of these children. To help them know him more, to be, to be educated and to be part of our family, Can said. We praise the Lord that he has provided and his guidance. We feel that these children are our own. They're part of our family. Peter, a 12-year-old boy. Do we have anybody here who's 12? Brad's 12? Okay. Okay. So Peter, a 12-year-old boy, whose parents were farmers and missionaries in a war-torn part of the country, said he has grown in many ways. If he had stayed with his parents, he probably would have been taken as a child soldier. Instead, he now leads worship, prayer, and youth Sunday school at church. Wow, Brad, you have some aspirations. Um, We'll expect this next Sunday. Um, When I was in a village, he said, I knew nothing about reading or playing guitar. I love to play guitar, and I love to read now. I've grown a lot in my spiritual life. Peter wants to study engineering in college. Ten-year-old A. Chan May has lived with Can and Maya for two years. She is grateful for their care, for the many siblings she has under their roof, and for her spiritual growth. We do devotions, and they are always teaching us about God and reading the Bible, she said. Every Sunday morning, we recite verses and sing songs together. If not for Can and Maya's care, she likely would have been taken as a child bride. Maya said the best part of helping the children is simply being with them. The most important part, she added, is that they come to know Christ and they love God. And Can has pledged to always be there for the children, just like his heavenly Father has been there for him. I always tell them, until I'm breathing my final breath, I am your Father. Okay, so they live in Myanmar, and they're taking care of children. Just a couple. It's not like they have a huge home, but they have like, you know, five or six or eight children in their house. At one time, that's a lot of kids. And over there, it's not so easy to feed them either. So I'm sure it's a lot of work. But what's the, what are they doing? What, did you, what were they saying? What were the children saying they're doing for them? Besides giving them a place to live. Did you hear? What are they doing? How? What are they doing? How are they helping them? Yeah, they're teaching them about God. They're having devotions with them. 
I mean, you got a 12-year-old that's leading worship and Bible, children's Bible lesson. Brad would be up here teaching you guys. How would that be? That'd be cool. Can you imagine Brad stringing that many words together outside of talking about the Broncos? So they teach him about Christ. That's the greatest thing, right? So wherever you are, don't forget, you can be a missionary there. You can be a missionary here. Or you can go somewhere else to be a missionary too. But we always want to just teach and tell others about Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. And if God is real in our lives, it's something that we really want to share with others. Okay? You can go back to your parents. Thanks. Good morning to everyone this morning. It's good to be back myself again. I've been out for the past couple of weeks, so it's, it's, it is an honor and a pleasure to be back here. I um, want to extend a hearty welcome to anybody. If this is your first time here, welcome. And, and everybody. If you are new to the facility, the restrooms are down the hallway, at, at the, uh, across the hallway on the end. There's tea, coffee, generally water in the back. If you uh, care to do so, please don't do it all at the same time. Um, but you're, we have a fellowship meal planned for after the service, so please do hang around for that. Uh, we'd love to uh, share and partake in, in that way. Um, thank you, Brother Drew, for uh, the worship this morning. Carrie, for sharing for the children's lesson. Um, Looks like we have a ladies' tea party. Katie, is that your? Okay. So, looks like a ladies' and daughters' tea party is planned for Thursday, October 13th at 2 p.m. Details to come. It sounds like Katie might be in charge of that. So, uh, be in touch with her for the ladies and mom, or uh, for the ladies and the daughters. Uh, just kind of reminder, this is no pressure. Uh, we don't uh, pass the offering box here, but there is a tithing box in the back if you care to give to Redeem Community Church. It would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, it just goes to pay for our rent and everything and our youth conferences and different things like that and helping out uh, wherever there is a need. So also, uh, if you do pay in check, Make it out to Redeem Community Church and pay via um, PayPal or however. Um, anyway, um, why don't we just bow our head for a word of prayer as Brother Phil brings us the bring us the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. You're an awesome God. God is because of you that we're here in this way. Thank you so much for your many blessings. I thank you for this fellowship. And everyone that's here today, Lord, give us open hearts and ears and minds that we can hear from you as you, um, as Brother Phil shares from your word. I just pray you uh, a special blessing on him, anointing with your spirit. Lord, Just we just want to commit this service and this day into your hand, Father, and we give you all the honor and glory. Amen.
uh, pray for Ron and Linda, especially Linda. She had knee surgery. Um, when did she actually have it? A week ago. And uh, she's doing well. She's in recovery, but she hopes to come back uh, home on Wednesday, I think it is. So let's just take a moment and lift her up before the Lord. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We lift up Linda to you and Ron, especially Linda, Father. She's recovering from her knee surgery. Thank you for providing this for her, Lord, even though she uh, she's chosen to take this on, Lord, so that her recovery hopefully can, can be better, Lord, and she can walk for a number of years much better than what she was able to. Lord, I pray this morning that as she is going to her recovery, you would strengthen her inner man with all might by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that even though our outer bodies are decaying, as Apostle Paul said, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Thank you for that wonderful gift that you have given to us through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that for her today. And also for Ron as he, as he ministers to her through this time. I pray that you would give him your grace and your help. In Jesus' name, amen. You can turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 19. This morning as I was praying through this week... The Lord gave me a word to share this morning, and, and Anthony and I, as we shared uh, together, felt a need in, uh, in the church here for us to explain how we see God's word teaching us to live in regards to what happened here last Sunday. For those of you who were not here, last Sunday... There was a family who came in in the middle of the children's lesson and they came in through the back door here and he immediately wanted to pass around his hat because he felt in need of money. And the way that we tried to help him wasn't very pleasing or acceptable in his sight. But I want to take this time to just thank you brothers, um, Brother Angel, we were very helpful, and, and Lee and Christy are not here today. They were helpful in, in translating uh, from the Spanish and th working through our language difficulties. But I, I felt a need in my heart, uh, and the Lord uh, in, encouraging me to look into His Word for guidance in how we are instructed from the Lord to meet one another's needs. Now, we live in a world today, and anyone who is a parent or has been a parent, you know this exercise very well. We do not meet the wants of our children. We meet their needs. And you and I all know, as a parent, there's often a big difference. And what we're called to do by the Lord and instructed to do is to meet their needs and many times that's not what they want so it is with God's children we live in a world that many people have not had Christian parents to train them and bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord so what Ephesians 6 tells us to do they haven't had that and so they grow up and they're still little children in big bodies. And they go around this world 
wanting, 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 wanting. And we live in a culture that actually fosters that. And I would like to give you my perspective on this is that the church of Jesus Christ has in many times enabled this culture because we give according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to lead God's people in how they give and meet each other's needs the same as He wants to lead us in our relationship towards God. And if we are not led by the Spirit, guess what we're going to do? We will fulfill the lusts of the flesh every time. There's only two ways to live according to God's Word. The lust, the wants of your flesh or to be led by His Spirit. His Spirit will lead us into all truth, Jesus said in John chapter 16. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will lead you into all truth, not just portions, not just certain truths, all of it. And in Psalm 19, we see the result of the leading of God's Spirit in our lives as His children. You see, God is a good dad. He's a very good dad. And Jesus portrayed him this way. He said, do you think you're a good parent? If you think you're a good parent, compared to God, you're evil. What? The best parent among us is evil compared to our Heavenly Father's good ways towards His children. He said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give what? In one translation, in Matthew it says, give good things to those who ask Him. But in Luke he says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And that is where we go wrong. Just like our children naturally want many, many things. But as a wise, godly parent, we say no, 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 no. How many times as a parent do you say no to your children through the day? Many, 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 many times, right? Many more times than we say yes. We say, no, dad, can I have a candy bar? No, dad, can I have a soda pop? No, dad, can I have, can I do YouTube? No, dad, can I do, dad, can I, dad, no, no, no. But this is what you can do. And somehow we think when God says no, he's not good. Isn't that true? Told you you were evil. We think God's no's are not good. Just like many little kids think their parents are not nice. If they were nice, they would give me everything I want, whenever I want it. Right? No. God says no. If God is a good dad, he says no more often. Then he says, yes. 
to his children. And if you and I yield ourselves to his instructive will in our lives as obedient children, First Peter says, I'll read that verse to you, because it is a key to understanding the will of God and to experiencing His goodness, His good, no, in my life. First Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts or wants which were in your, yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, or I am holy. And if you address, or if you call as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like money, like silver or gold, from your futile way of life. That word futile means your wasteful way of living. Your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. That's what we sang about this morning, right? A spotless lamb. So now, turn with me to Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do to you? What does it do? Revives, converts, restores. All of those in different translations. Restores our soul. Now what is your soul? Can someone tell me what part of your being your soul is? In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul prays and he says, I pray that God would sanctify your body, soul, and spirit. There are three components to my being. Which part is the soul? You want to take a guess? The soul has three main components by which we know it. Your will, your emotion, and your intellect. Your five senses. Now some of that is physical as well. But your soul is your will I want. Don't we see that in little children? No. When they're very little, they'll say that. If dad or mom gives them an instruction that goes against their will. And oh wow, don't we see their emotions? As soon as dad or mama says no, or leads them away, it all comes out. That's the emotion. And then if you sit down and you try to reason with them, talk with them, you'll get their intellect. They'll give you a thousand or a hundred different reasons of why you're wrong and they think they deserve a candy bar. That's your soul. God's Word restores, converts, renews or revives our soul. 
And that word convert is really powerful. The word restore simply means, it all means the same. It means to take back to its original design. It brings your soul, your will, your emotion, and your mind back to the way God had first created Adam in the garden before sin came. Isn't that wonderful? That experience is God's Holy Spirit through His Word working in us. And we call it conversion. It means we're converted. We're changed from this person into the way that we were created to be. God's original created creation. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. When God's word comes and it restores your soul, you have a testimony. It comes out by the word of their testimony. And that is sure. It's undeniable. Making wise the simple. Do you know how many souls were converted and were made wise to God by another's testimony? If you haven't listened to testimonies of God's people lately, you should. You are missing much wisdom in your life. Oh, it's so easy nowadays. It's right here. Just download Audible. And you can go on there and download many Christian testimonies for just a few dollars. Some a little bit more. Or you can get it on audio. Um, There are many uh, CDs you can buy that have testimonies downloaded if you're not a reader. If you're a reader, I highly recommend that. Because it takes a little bit more of your concentrated time. And there's something about reading that enters your soul that hearing while you're driving down the road doesn't. Because it's focused. It's concentrated time. So, if you're feeling a bit confused and unwise and foolish, try listening to God's testimonies. Beginning with His Word. Did you know most of the Bible is a written testimonies? From Adam... His first creation, all the way to Revelation, you can read of God's testimonies in human lives. And this is the power of it. It takes the truth of God's word and makes it human. A real life testimony. And it becomes a sure thing. You hear the truth and now you See it lived out. And it gives you wisdom. Strongly recommend it. If your Christian life is without the testimony of the Lord, you'll be missing a lot of God's wisdom. Because God also lives out His Word in many different ways in human lives. I like how one brother put it some years ago. It's the conspiracy of the earthen vessel. God makes a fool out of Satan every time he takes his truth and lives it out through a human life. Because our human, our humanity is imperfect. And God's truth 
lives itself out through our imperfect humanity and it blows the devil away. He just can't figure that out. He tries to condemn it. He tries to shut it up. He tries in every way to make the weakness of our humanity just do away with God's truth. Instead, it projects God's truth. It puts it into a megaphone. Your life becomes His megaphone of truth. The other night, we were sitting down here. It was a nice, cool night. And the boys and I started a fire in our little fire pit. And I was sitting out there watching the fire burn. It was just like after a while, you know how you can kind of, if you lay the logs down carefully, you can create this like perfect fire. And that's what we had. I thought to myself, that's a perfect fire. And then I began to think of the testimonies of God's people throughout the ages who burned alive in a perfect fire. The testimony of God through His people was through fire. There are so many of them. If you research how many Christians were burned way back in the first century church when the Romans and especially the Emperor Nero had this idea he was going to use them as human torches and so he put them on crosses out on the streets lining the street going up to Rome and he set them on fire. They poured tar and, and oil over them. And he set them on fire to blaze and give light in the night. Human torches. God's testimony. And you know, Nero's intent was, I'm going to get rid of the Christian faith. I'm going to put the fear of fire in everyone's heart in Rome. And thereby extinguish all of Christianity right here and now forever. That was his intent. And you know what happened? Fire lights fire. Fire is combustive. Fire in one tree spreads to another. You see, Nero didn't take into account God's law of fire. God's law of fire is that it spreads and it lights up others. Both spiritually, just like it does physically. And through that season of Rome's time, there were more people that became Christians than for a long time before and after that. Because they seen the testimony of the Lord in God's fire. Yep. Makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. You know what a precept of the Lord is? Can someone tell me? What is a precept? How is it different than his law and his testimony? Parents, do you have any precepts in your home? Surely you do. Or don't you know what it means? Can someone tell me? What is a precept? Jenny, do you know? Thought you were raising your hand. It's, a, it's similar to a statue, but it is actually a different one. A statue is a memorial, right? 
When God's word becomes a memorial, he raises up, like you raise up a, a, a something that you remember God's work by. A precept is a bit different. A precept is God's repetitive truth in your life. It means you do it over and over and over and over. And in my home or in your life, it becomes a policy. That's the word we use today. It's a policy. It's simply something we do. Making your bed is a good precept every morning. Right? may not be instructive of God's word, but we all could agree on that. Precepts in our life are very important. The precepts of the Lord are right. You know what they do? They rejoice the heart. Some years ago, someone, one of my friends on Facebook posted this about one of the generals in the military, in the U.S. military, who spoke strongly about making your bed and the importance of it in your life. And he said, that discipline, at the end of the day, if everything else goes wrong that day, and you're a complete failure. If you made your bed that morning, you can come back and say, there's one good, right thing I did today. I made my bed. And it'll rejoice your heart. <laughs> it'll encourage you if your day was a downer. Well, maybe you should try that. If a military general says that that's a precept in the military, and it works, and they've proven that it works, and it builds character, hmm, God's precepts will rejoice your heart. And this is really important, dear brother and sister. If God's word never becomes a policy in your life, a repetitive truth you do every day, not because you feel like it, that's your soul. Not because you want to, that's your soul. Not because you think you should, that's your soul. Because he says so, that's it. Because he says so. As an obedient child, I do it. When God's precepts in your life, when God's truth becomes a precept, it'll bring so much hidden joy. Regular, it's a regular source of sugar. And you need it. Right? We all need our sugar. We think so. What does sugar do to you? Same thing as coffee. Those who think they need their morning coffee. What does it do to you? It somehow makes you happier. Right? You were feeling a bit down and you're dragging and you're a bit moody and it just gives you a boost. All of a sudden, you feel a little different. There's a little joy, a little happiness to life. God's precepts do this to you. And if you're missing God's precepts in your life, dear brother, sister, you're being cheated, regularly robbed of the devil. And that's his mission. Jesus said the devil has come to steal, first of all, and then to kill, and then to obliterate, destroy, take you out, bury you. That's the devil's mission. And if you let him do that with God's truth in your life, You'll miss. You'll be robbed. And there's no joy in being robbed. I wonder we're so miserable. You're being robbed every day. You ever found a happier, a guy who's happily robbed every day? What gives you so much joy today, brother? Oh, I get robbed every day, man. 
Really? How many of you have heard the testimony of Otto Conning, a Dutch missionary in the, in the South Indies, was it? Yeah. Papua New Guinea. Thank you. You should listen to that testimony, by the way. It would encourage you. Well, he got robbed every day. He had a pineapple trees and he had a garden. And these native people that were there had this concept. What's his is mine. If I can get it, it's mine. Why shouldn't I? It's ripe. The pineapple is ripe. I'm just going to get it and eat it. He can't eat all the pineapples. He must have put them there for me. And it frustrated him incredibly until, as he tells his story, God did a work in his heart. And he began to see they're not his after all. It's God's garden and God's pineapples. But anyway, being robbed is not a pleasant experience. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It brings you into the awesome presence of God when you live this way. The awesomeness of his judgments. You see, our natural man will rebel against God. We say his judgments are wrong. We're like Israel in Malachi and in, and in Hosea, I think it is, in those two where, where he says, God says, you say to me, my people, you say to me, my way is not fair. That's what they were saying to God. You're not fair. And God was saying, is my way not fair? My way is fair. My way is right. But our natural man does not understand or accept that from God until we come to him as a good dad and we begin to experience the beauty, the blessing, and the joy of obedience. The beauty, the blessing, and the joy of obedience to his word. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So one of those that I want to share with you, I felt like I needed to lay this foundation down because if God's word is not our foundation of truth, even we as Christians, this becomes the most spiritual, soulish reason that many Christians are led astray today is because they say, the Spirit told me. Oh, the Spirit led me. What Spirit led you? I don't doubt that a Spirit led you. But what Spirit is the, is the key question. And so, in what I'm going to share with you today, we live in a culture which I believe to be the devil's culture. Unfortunately, it has affected the church. And many, perhaps in the Christian church, many Christians have been deceived through their soul. And their soul has led them to actually feed this culture of the devil right in God's people. And so it gives God's word and his truth no grip, no meaning, without traction. Have you ever taken a vehicle whose, tall, whose tires were completely bald, no tread on it? All it has to do is just drizzle a little bit and make the road wet and you'll spin out. You'll hyperplane, as they say, right? You're just, you have no traction, no tread. 
And this is what happens when God's word loses its traction in our life. You hear it. You may even go out and try to experience it, but you'll just spin out. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do you say no to the spirits? But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. If you believe every voice you hear in your head, you will be led astray and completely deceived in a short time. And unfortunately, you'll actually think it, it's God telling you that. Did you know the Jews crucified Jesus believing they were doing God an act of service? Apostle Paul said, when he was there consenting to Stephen's death and persecuting the church, he had a good conscience towards God. He was doing it in faith and good conscience. He believed he was doing God his service. And you can be the same way. We can be fighting against God and feeding and even giving the devil a, his, a, a handout and believing somehow we're doing God a service unless we test the spirit. You must in your Christian life test the spirits to see whether they be of God. How do you test the spirit, by the way? Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, told us how we can discern who is a false prophet. Can someone tell me how you discern that? How do you discern a false prophet? Do you? The prophecies don't come true? Okay. But that's not exactly what Jesus said. By your fruits you shall know them. By their fruits you shall know them. How do you get to experience a man's fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control. Against such there is no law. When that fruit doesn't come out of his life, when you test it, and you know, if he's a briar, Jesus said, the opposite is one who brings forth briars, words that sting and cut. By this you shall know the Spirit of God. He said, but test the Spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you shall know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, you may turn your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians. Um, actually, I'm going, to, I'm going to begin in 2 Thessalonians and, and just go there because time's getting away from me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, this may be one of the most rare, unpopular truths that you hear preached on a Sunday morning. If a man should not work, you shouldn't be eating either. True or false? Mm. Did you know that's loving your neighbor? If you love your neighbor, you won't feed him if he isn't working. What? Have you ever heard of such a thing? True or false? 
Have you ever tested this spirit? Do you see why I say that we live in a church culture? Because the world has developed this culture that it's good to share and always share and unequivocally share your goods. I mean, we live in a culture where philanthropy, as they call it, is glorified. In fact, it's your responsibility to give a lot of your money away. But did you know that Apostle Paul said to Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this world to enjoy their riches. That's exactly what he said. And he said also to be rich in good works. To enjoy freely God's gift in your life. Not to make sure everyone knows how much you're giving this year. And be known by that. Philanthropy. Well, I want to show you this word because this sets a precept, a policy in my life. And I believe it should in us as a church. It governs the way in which we give to others. And that's why you've seen what we did last Sunday and why we did it. We didn't just do it because we were tough. No. In fact, we went the second mile. We actually fed him and his family food. Though we didn't give him the money he wanted. We made that clear difference because we tested the spirit. Verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. I'm going to begin actually in, in verse 5. Because there is where he speaks about. He kind of sets the precept. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. There's a big difference between your soul love and the love of God. If you love men through your feelings through your will and through your intellect, you're not going to love them with the love of God. Let me ask you, could God give to everyone on the earth exactly what they want? Could He? What do you think? He could. Does He? No. Why not? What does his word say that he does do? But my God shall supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. Through his riches and glory. That's what he will do. Could he? Yes. But he does not. But this is what he does. That difference. And that's his love. And God is calling us. Jesus said a new commandment I give to you in John 13. Not that you love one another. That's the old commandment. Love your neighbors yourself. Which I was a bit illustrating a bit last Sunday. But I didn't finish it. There's a new commandment that is greater than that one. You see, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll fulfill the law of Moses. The law of God towards Moses. But that law also said, Hate your enemy. And if someone punches you in the eye, punch him right back. That's exactly what he deserves. If someone slaps you on the cheek, slap him right back. That's loving your neighbor. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
is God's love for you each other. Under the law, that was loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That's not how Christ loves us though, is it? Now the new commandment is, don't love each other like that anymore. You have heard it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Jesus said. But I say to you, this new commandment, love as I love you. How does God love his children? We're now commanded to love each other that way, not a human way, led by the Spirit, love, the Spirit of God. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now listen to this. This is love. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life. That word is undisciplined life. That you keep aloof, keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. What tradition is he talking about? What precept? A truth you do every day, every day, every day. You practice God's truth, his law. Well, he tells us what it is. Verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this. You may have the right to it. But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, that you might follow our example. This word is for us today. Paul's saying, follow my model of life, Christians. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. And I like that word. In some translations it says this command. But the command has become an order. An orderly way of living. It's simply the way you live. What order? If any man will not work, neither let him eat. That order. That precept. And I tell you, I have been so encouraged by some of you. I, I want to tell you, Angel was telling me, um, uh, I think it was a, 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 a few weeks ago, that he's looking for a job and he's trying to go out there and, and even though he doesn't have to, there's a desire that he has as a man to go out and work. Kent was started another job after his stroke and, and these elderly men among us have this desire to go out there and work with their hands. Eating becomes fulfilling when you've worked for it. Otherwise, it bloats you. There's no fulfillment in it. You just become bloated. You get the feeling of being a glutton. But if you've worked hard for that food, it's fulfilling. This is God's order. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. You know what a busybody is? A body who is busy in other people's matters. He's busy, but he's not working. He's busy, but he's not providing for himself. 
That's a busybody. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. This was a precept in the church that Paul taught, lived, and taught. Commanded in the church. I was listening last night again. There's a dear friend of mine, one of my heroes of the faith. His name is David Pawson. He's now with the Lord. And if you want to listen, you can, you can YouTube him. He has a, many sermons there. David Pawson, P-A-W-S-O-N. And this, this little uh, sermonette he gave to some Christian businessmen called The Immorality of Money. And he was 82 years old when he was sharing this. And this is what he shared. He shared a story about a guy who came to visit him and his wife. And this man was a professor, a, pro, a professional um, scholar, I think they called him in England at that time, meaning he would just, he, would, he made it his life's career to go to college. And he never went and actually got a job because you don't have to start paying your college tuition as long as you don't graduate. So they, they learned how to scheme the system. And always just go for another class and go for another class and go for another. He had been doing this for a number of years and David knew this. Well, he comes to meet David and he comes on purpose intentionally right over lunchtime. And he sits there in his living room as David shares the story and he's sharing with him and keeps glancing over into the dining room and David's wife is preparing the noon meal. And, and, uh, and finally he looks at David and he goes, um, uh, are, are we going to eat? And David goes, oh, thanks for the reminder. It is lunchtime. Um, I'm going to eat. You're welcome to sit at the table, but you can't eat with us. And the guy goes, what? And David said, are you not a professional scholar? Yes, but you're not earning your own living. No, then you can't eat my bread or I would be in disobedience to God's word. So I'm not going to disobey God's word and give you anything to eat. So he sends him out the door. The guy gets upset and he, and he walks out the door and he's, he's not very happy about that. A few months later, he comes knocking on the door again, intentionally, at lunchtime. And David opens the door. And he says, David, I can eat now. I can eat lunch with you. And David says, really? Yes, I got a job. And David says, all the food in the house is yours. <laughs> Lesson learned. Life changed. Through God's word. So, I want to continue to read that. Look at that. In Jesus Christ, we command you to work in quiet fashion, eating your own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And I'll let Anthony share what actually happened and how we shared with this brother because he and, and John and Brother Lee um, took care of the issue as the deacons in the church. I shared a little bit with him. We sought to hear his testimony. But this, this word the Lord brought strongly to my heart and I thought I would share it with you. Whenever God wants to do a precept in your life, a repetitive truth that becomes a way of life, look for two things to establish it. Don't be deceived. This is one sure way we will never be deceived in God's word. 
Because Satan also uses God's word, by the way. He did to Jesus in his temptation. You know, in the second temptation, when first temptation, he said, Jesus, make the stone bread. And Jesus answered, man shall not live by bread alone. And then he comes back to him and says, oh, Jesus, just jump down from here. Does the word not say he will guard you and keep your foot from being dashed upon a stone? And Jesus came back to him, yes, but it also is written. And if we don't balance God's truth with it is also written, we'll be led astray. Because the devil knows the Bible better than you and me. And he knows how to twist it and quote half verses and half truths and make them incomplete in our life. And if you leave an incomplete truth, it will become incorrect. And it will slowly but surely kill you. It will destroy you. But first, it's just going to rob you a little bit. That's how he starts. He just robs you of a half-truth. These two things, I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to make God's word the precept in your life, look for these two things. One is God's instructive word. Thus says the Lord. Whether Jesus said it, or is in anywhere in God's word, thus says the Lord. Just like this. Here's a command. And the second one is, look for the example of it. The instructive word has become an example. So when I look at this truth, that if a man shall not work, neither shall he eat, and I live by it, I look for this example. Number one, Jesus. Did Jesus say, a man should work. Yes or no? Did he? Yes, he did. When the scribes and Pharisees accused him of working on the Sabbath, he said, my father is working and I work too. In fact, Jesus was a perfect example of God's creation in Genesis. Did you know that? His very life was on a ratio of six to one. In Genesis chapter 1, God worked for six days with his hands, and on the seventh day, he rested. And God saw all of it, and he said, that is very good. And God made it later on when he gave the law to God's people as a nation. He made it a precept. Six days thou shalt work, and the seventh you will rest. Six days to one rest. Right? How long, how many years did Jesus work in his life before he ministered? Someone tell me. 33 years. Oh, he was 33 when he died. So, I'll give you, I'll put it this way. When did Jesus say, I must be about my father's business? When he was 12. When he was 12 years old, he apparently realized that. Enough to share it with his parents. Then what did he do, what did he do then? After he said that, what did he do? He went home, and what did he do at home? He worked. For how many years? 18 years. And then he ministered for how many years? Three. That's a six-to-one ratio, is it not? It is. He lived the exact 
created way that his father did. You see, Jesus said, I came to do my father's will. I came, John says, he came to explain the father to us. And in Colossians says, he is the express, exact, express image of God. Boy, isn't that a good example to you? It is to me. Six days thou shalt work, one day you shall rest. Jesus worked. The other thing Jesus did not do, he never gave any money to the poor. That'll rattle your cage, will it? Look for the example of Jesus' ministry. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus began his ministry in the synagogue, he read the prophecy of Isaiah 61. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your ears. Now there was something he was to give to the poor. What was it? Someone tell me. Nope. Luke chapter 4. Hank. The gospel. He lists all of these things. He says the blind will see, the lame will walk, the, the deaf will hear, and the gospel will be preached to the poor. What gospel? God's truth. His precepts. Of what he created man to do and be on the earth. God created man to work. Work is not the curse. Sin is the curse. The curse of sin was the sweat of our brow. But Adam was created to work in the garden and keep the earth. Sin made it the curse of the sweat. But work was before sin. God created us to work. God works. Jesus worked. Now Jesus did minister to the poor. How did he minister to them? He met their need. He met their need, not their wants. And that's how Jesus lived. He instructed and he lived this way. And in Matthew 11, when John says, are you really the one? You know, John the Baptist was put in prison. He began to question, Jesus, are you really the one? Then Jesus said, Go show John what you see. And again, he went out and he healed a lot of people. He opened their eyes. He caused the lame to walk. And he said, and the gospel is preached to the poor. That's what he did. Do you and I do that as an example? I have a really good friend who's been a missionary in Africa for many, many years now. Over 20 years. He's given his life as a missionary in Africa. This is what he told me. He was sent up into northern Africa, into some of the most poorest, remotest villages on the earth. And it reminds me, when I was in India some years ago, we went into some of those poorest, remotest villages where there was only one three-sided shelter. That was the house, that was the barn, the pigs lived there, the cows were there, and the kids were playing there, and the woman was cooking right there, and that's all they had. And when I went into that village and I asked the Lord, what shall I say to these people? Should I give them more money? And the Lord said, give them exactly what I gave them, the gospel. My friend in Africa told me that the Lord gave him this conviction. And he moved into one of these villages, he and his wife, and began to live there and simply share the gospel. And... Here's what happens. The gospel has 
The gospel will cause you to prosper. Now, I don't believe in a, what they call the prosperity gospel, where God will just give you an abundance of money, because I don't see that example in the scriptures at all. That's not the real blessing of God, where either Peter and Paul and all of the apostles completely missed God's blessing, because they didn't get rich through their service to Jesus Christ. But the gospel does prosper. He said, I go in and I preach the gospel, and if a soul gets converted, guess what happens? The first thing that happens is he doesn't offer his chicken and his goats to the gods anymore. He now keeps them to feed his family. You see, they were superstitious and they worshipped many gods. And the witch doctors in the village kept telling them, you need to offer these things to appease the gods. And when a person gets born again, he understands that Jesus Christ has become the offering for your sin. And we don't need to offer those things as sacrifices to appease the gods anymore. And so his chickens began to have more chickens. And the pigs began to have more pigs. And the goats began to have more goats. Likewise, in these villages, the culture is that the men lay around and drink all day long. The women work hard in the fields. But the men, they go out to the marketplace and they just drink themselves drunken all day, every day. And talk and... When a man gets born again, guess what happens? He quits drinking. He quits spending his money on alcohol. And he begins to go and work. The gospel prospers. And it changes their life out of poverty like most of their neighbors are still living to, in, and they begin to be able to build their house, to have a good garden, to take care of the garden. Their garden prospers. They begin to take good care of their animals. They become good stewards of God's things that He gave to them. The gospel changes lives. That's what our culture in America needs. That's what we as a church need to proclaim to them. Not just shove them away and become hard-hearted. No, we have a love to give to them, and that's to give them the gospel. And it will change their life. In First John chapter 3, again, John tells us how to love someone. First John chapter 3, Verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. When you go to love someone, and share with them love in action but with truth if your deed is not in accordance to God's truth you'll give them soulish love out of your soul out of your flesh and you'll be led astray and you'll actually help lead them astray from obedience to God's word and the gospel so I'm going to give the time to Brother Anthony now to share a, a bit of what we shared with this man last Sunday.
Thank you, Phil, for sharing the word. You know, sometimes, and, and what Phil shared had, had a lot of practicality to it as well, but I find often in, in sharing the word, sometimes there's a practicality that's, that's left out, and sometimes we're left to wonder, well, how do we apply this to our lives? Now, um, that usually is not the case in, in Phil's speaking, but I, I see that in, in Christianity a lot. You'll hear a good sermon or a good word being preached, and then you wonder, okay, well, how am I supposed to apply this? And there are different ways to do that in different situations. I think you know, the key is obviously having the Holy Spirit in your life to apply his word to your life. But in this particular uh, topic here, I, there, there are things that I felt the Lord uh, teaching me over the years, things that I uh, especially learned from my father and, and from other people as well, and that it developed convictions in my own life on, on how, to, how to give, how to share. And that has uh, also become, on, on a practical level in the, in the church here, and, and how, we, uh, how we share as well. There are, there are practical ways that we do that. And what happened this past Sunday, and what I, what I say here is not to demean anybody or to, uh, you know, call out the family that was, that was here yesterday. They were people that had very real needs. Um, probably a lot of them were different than what they thought they were, but um, this is not what, what, what that is about. I, I believe God gives us these kind of situations to, uh, to give us instruction and to see how we are going to apply his word. And I believe uh, we did that to the, to the best of our ability this past Sunday. And I want to share that with you just to, to show how this has worked in a practical way on the church level and, and also some of the things that it has uh, done for me in my personal life over the years. One thing that uh, I, I learned from my dad was uh, for quite a few years they lived in the Phoenix, Arizona area and and uh, because of the warm, warmer weather, the colder, the not so cold winters, there, there are a lot of homeless people. There are a lot of uh, people that stand around begging for things. And you see that around here too, but out there it's especially bad because it's the weather's not as harsh and it's easier for people to live without nothing. And so there you, you, you have people coming up to you just all the time in the city asking for something, asking for handouts. And, and what I learned a lot from my dad, he would very, very seldom, I don't know if I've ever saw him just handing out cash, but he would go up to the person, oh, their sign says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm hungry, my kids are hungry, whatever. Oh, okay, well, there's a fast food restaurant. I'll, I'll take you over there. I'll get you some food. I'll buy you uh, food for your kids. Um, sometimes they would take him up on it, and the next time 
No, no, just, uh, just give me cash. Just give me cash. Well, you want gas for your car, and I've, I've done this already. Okay, well, where, where's your car? I'll go fill it up with gas. Oh, uh, well, yeah, it's, 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 it's not that close by. Um, uh, just, just give me some, some cash. I've, I've had it go both ways with, with people. So that's, that's a practical way you can try to meet somebody's need without just handing them money. You have no idea what they're going to do with or what they're going to be good stewards of. It's kind of a humorous story. Uh, one of my college professors was uh, told the story. He was doing uh, street ministry in Chicago, and uh, someone came up to him and Hey, I'm, I'm hungry. I haven't had anything to eat for a while. Can you please help me? I said, oh, well, hey, there's a convenience store right right here on the corner. I'll, let's go in there. I'll buy you a couple of hot dogs. Oh, no, no, I don't want to take your time. You're doing a good work here. No, it's, it's not a problem. Let's go in there. I'll buy you a couple of hot dogs. And they just kept going back and forth, and the guy not wanting him to actually buy him hot dogs. And finally he said, uh, the man that was asking for the food, he's like, well, if you really want to buy me some food, I know a really good steakhouse around the corner over here. <laughs> so <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he was really uh, wanting the food. But I share that to, to just kind of share where I have come to and I think we're, where we as a ministry team are at on, on sharing with people on a practical level in meeting their specific needs rather than just a blank check type of thing. Here's $100, you know, God bless you. I, I think it, uh, you know, the church is called you know, primarily to give the gospel, but also to, to meet needs, and there are, there are ways to do that. So when this family came in uh, last Sunday, you know, promptly tried to raise money by passing their hat. Um, there was obviously a, a language barrier that made it a, a bit difficult to... Uh, communicate with them, but Brother Angel was a big help, Ali, and uh, a few others were were talking to him, and, and this family had some needs. They had this paper that was given them apparently by their uh, uh, apartment manager or whoever he was of how far they were behind on their rent, and it was an itemized bill. It looked legit. It didn't have any information on for the rental company, but, uh, okay, well, we're getting kicked out of our house. So one of the questions we asked him, well, um, can you give us the information for this apartment complex or for your, for your uh, apartment manager? Um, no, he didn't, didn't want to do that, and we never did get that information from him. We tried several, several times. Like I said, there was a language barrier there as well, but... I'm pretty sure we got our point across on, on that. And the next thing that, that was wanted was uh, we're going to, we're actually moving to California. We're going to go out there. I have my, my brother out there. We need, we need help to get to California. And so, again, we asked him, well, can, can we have your brother's information? Maybe we can collaborate with your brother to help you get settled in California, and, and you know, you'll get a job out there, that kind of thing. Um, and he didn't didn't want to give us that information either. Um, he had mentioned something about his their their vehicle not working. I think 
He originally said it was in the shop, but they actually did have it here. And uh, John Schroeder took a look at it. There's not many people around that are better with uh, vehicles and uh, getting them fixed or finding vehicles for people, whatever the case, than what John is. He he's, uh, has a real gift in that, and it's been used in the church here multiple times. So uh, John went to look at, at his vehicle, and, and yes, there were, there were some things that it needed, but, you know, it was, it would have got him to California. And he said, well, his mechanic here said it's going to cost 400 and some dollars to fix this issue. And John was like, well, that's actually pretty cheap. You know, let's talk to this mechanic and we can pay him to fix this vehicle. Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're actually leaving for California before we can get it fixed here. Can, can you uh, just give, you know, give us that $400 and, uh, you know, we'll be on our way type of thing. And we weren't, we weren't willing to do that. We would have been willing to certainly help them uh, pay this bill. So, and, and it was something that the vehicle was going to need. It wasn't in imminent danger of breaking at the moment, but something that it was going to need. So ultimately, um, on, on those three different areas, we, we tried to find a way to connect and, and to give practically to meet a need, and there was zero interest in that. And after that, after the third attempt, he really got really angry, I mean, almost to the point of violence, and... Uh, had a lot of words that uh, I couldn't understand, but Ali did, and uh, essentially calling Ali the devil and this and that and the other thing, and, and uh, tore out of the parking lot, nearly taking out a couple vehicles with him. So obviously there, there was not a strong desire in allowing his need to be met. He wanted the cash. So yes, we're... Were there needs there? It, 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 looked like, it looked like there were, but we believed that, that God was giving us this practical way of reaching out and, and giving help in a specific situation, and he does that to us. I know Phil runs into that a lot, living in, in the community here, um, and that, that is a conviction that we as a ministry team have very strongly, is to meet needs, but to meet them practically, to be responsible in, in how we reach out to people. And so with this situation coming up the way it did and in front of everybody, we wanted to use this as an instructive time of, of sharing what we believe and how that works out on a practical basis. So hopefully that that is a blessing to each of you, and perhaps you know you can find ways to implement that in your personal life as you meet people. There are needs all around us, and and I encourage each one of you to you know to to take it as as a serious matter when when people ask for help and really ask the Lord, how shall I help them? How can I do this practically? Because uh, God opens up a lot of doors for us into people's lives by helping them practically. Um, so that, that's uh, mostly what I have to share about it, and I, I pray that that's, that'll be a blessing to you and give you a, a, a fuller understanding of the, the things that took place here last Sunday and uh, a fuller understanding of what our vision is as a church in reaching out and meeting the needs of others. So, 
God bless you. Dave, you want to close the service? Thanks, Brother Phil, for sharing the word today with us. I was kind of challenged for myself what precepts, like what are my policies in my life, in my home. And, uh, it just, you know, if it, uh, the physical, mentally, spiritually, whatever. Um, I, if you're interested, Google sometime what are some of the five or five or ten top habits of wealthy people or like a spiritual leader. And it's very, very interesting. And it just by having those precepts and practice those daily, daily, it disciplines yourself in other areas of life. And it, um, and it very, yeah, it just, if you just go on your phone sometime and look what some of the habits are of wealthy people or your spiritual leaders. Uh, very, very interesting. And I just, um, it's just kind of a very healthy reminder for me again, you know, is, what am I doing every day? What am what am I doing with my time? And so, anyway, I don't want to hold you any longer. Uh, the, I think the food is pretty close to being prepared here. So, why don't we all rise, those of you can, and uh, we'll ask the blessing on the new meal. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again for who you are. We thank you for... Uh, the precepts, the precepts that you have uh, given to us, Lord, and we can apply those to your lives. And Lord, we just thank you for your blessings. We thank you now for the blessing also of the the physical food that's been prepared. We just pray you bless it to our bodies, bless the hand that have prepared it. Lord, I just pray that you be with us throughout this day. We ask all things in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.